Hello, welcome to this week's Economy. I'm Dr. Vance Gann, and today I'm going to go over some of the brief things that are happening in the news, in the economy, in the state, the national level, and at the state level. And so the big three things that I want to talk about today are the recession in the United States economy and how that's dealing with the debt ceiling debacle and everything else that's going on, the state-level employment report that came out last Friday, but I want to talk a little bit about that. And then I want to talk about the Texas legislature. It looks like they're going to have the largest spending increase in history here in the state. Massive increase. Before I get into all that, though, I would say if you haven't watched the Let People Prosper episode this week that came out on Tuesday, please do. It's with Paul Winfrey, who worked in the Trump White House. And we talked a lot about what happened during the White House, a lot of the things that were going on at that time, a lot about economic policy and economic policy history and some of the things that we need to do differently, especially today. This coming Tuesday, I'll have on Amity Schlaes, who has written a lot of great books about you know Coolidge, uh, um, the Forgotten Man, The Great Society. Uh, we have a great discussion about, again, about economic history, political history, and how these things work together and how we need to go in a different direction. So be sure to check that one out. If you haven't already, please subscribe to my newsletter, Substack newsletter, advancedgin.substack.com. Um, you can check out a lot of my show notes and other information and blog posts, advancedgin.com as well. So be sure to check those out. So let's get right into this information. You know, There's been a lot of data that's come out recently um, there's a lot of talk a lot about this national debt and that they've, they've reached the debt ceiling of $31.4 trillion. There's been some maneuvers by the Treasury, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, of using different revenues and the flow of funds to ensure that we don't hit the debt ceiling as quickly as we otherwise would. And what that means is that we wouldn't make certain payments. I mean, you could think about uh, a number of things that wouldn't be paid for that are there. They, I mean, they'll try to prioritize what the payments are, probably Social Security, Medicare, that sort of things. Uh, but some of the other things may not. There's also some discussion about what would a debt deal look like. The House Republicans have already passed a bill that I think was a good bill, a good one in the you know, head in the right direction that I've talked about on previous episodes, where basically they go back to 2022 levels. We're in fiscal year 23 now. So moving to fiscal year 24, it would go back to 2022 levels, which I think is about a $300 billion decrease um, there. And then when you look at another part of that was to have a 1% spending limit each year over the next decade. So again, I'm all about spending limits and fiscal rules. So I think that would be a good step in the right direction. Of course, I would like to see them cut more, go back to the 2019 levels. Um, just from 2019 to 2022, the increase in the federal, federal spending was 27%. 27% increase over that period of time. So it's a, a massive increase and not even included what's already going on in fiscal year 23 um, that ends later this year. Um, there's also a lot of good policies of reducing a lot of the money that's going toward bad policies of energy and IRA and you know pro propping up a lot more of these unreliable sources of energy. So a lot of things happening that I think would be good for that House Republican deal to, to be done. But it doesn't look like President Biden, the Senate Democrats want to go in that direction. And of course, they've got to pass it through both chambers. You have Janet Yellen, who has said by June 1st that they're going to run out of revenue to pay for the expenditures that are coming on, on due. And of course, there's never a revenue problem. It's always a spending problem, no matter how they like to spend it. But you know there are going to be some expenditures because they don't seem like they want to cut right away that are going to lapse if they don't do something soon. I don't know that June 1st is the right date. There are probably other mechanisms that they can put in place to push it out further. But regardless, something needs to be done, and it needs to be done on the spending side, not raising taxes or anything like that. Um, I did hear today that there's some discussion about maybe freezing spending over the next two years. 
but that increase is means a lot more spending for the future. That would not be nearly as good as what the House Republicans have already passed. And so I really think it's time for President Biden, Senate Democrats to come to the table to pass something good along the lines of what the House Republicans have passed. And I think it's important, too, because. You know, I've been saying this for a while that I think we've been in a recession. Uh, I think we're in a recession now, and it would have really started in spring of 2022. Probably March of 2022 is really when we saw a lot of the indicators out there uh, indicating recession. And a big part of that was the two consecutive quarters of real GDP growth that was negative in Q1 and Q2 of 2022, which going back to 1945, every time that we've had two two consecutive quarters of declining real GDP, there has been a recession. Now, the National Bureau of Economic Research, the NBER, they don't use real GDP directly as a measure to, 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 to denote or call these recessions, right? To date the recessions and everything else. They use six other measures, industrial production and a few others. And so those indicators aren't all looking negative yet or declining just yet. But I think whenever you look at the economy, you look at the factors that are at play, it definitely feels like we're in a recession. And the GDP numbers that came out this week, in my view, uh, just continue to put more emphasis that we are in a recession. In fact, if you look at the GDP, so gross domestic product, and you the amount of output, and you look at gross domestic income, those are two different measures. And you take the average of those two to kind of give a better measure of what's going on in the economy. What they've shown is that in four of the last five quarters, so going back to spring of 2022, kind of what I was talking about a minute ago, they're at four of the last five quarters have had declining negative right? Real um, GDP plus GDI, the average of those two. So in other words, output, the income, the overall economy has been declining in four of the last five quarters, which would indicate to me that we were in a recession, that things are not looking good. Profitability is going down. It's continued to decline. And even Jason Furman, um, who is center left, I would say, on the political side of things and is an economist and works at the Fed and does doing some other things out there. Um, he's even talking more about a recession. And that's where a tweet that that I had tweeted out over the, the last couple of days really got into this. If you go back to my tweets and see what I posted there on this, you'll see the declines that are happening. And so I, I don't see this as a good situation. And again, anytime you've had the average of GDP and, and GDI showing negative over two consecutive quarters, that's been a recession every time. Um, so we'll see what happens. And, and con inflation continues to ratchet up as well. Um, there has been some... Uh, sustained inflation towards not going up as quickly. If you look at CPI, that's come down around 5% now, um, getting closer to 4%. But even the personal consumption expenditures, the PCE, which is what the Federal Reserve really looks at whenever they're looking at inflation and what they're doing with their interest rate and monetary policy and the, their, their money supply, the balance their balance sheet, right? Even that is starting to flatline. So if you look at the PCE chain type price index, and you look at it in April, um, it's at 4.4%, which is higher than what it was at 4.2% in the prior month, which was a low um, here recently anyway. Now it's ticked back up. And so that's something we need to watch. Um, as I've been saying this for a while, they've been putting more money in the economy. They the Federal Reserve has without any sort of supply side interventions on the other side to open up the economy, increase output. So you're likely to see more inflation. And even if you exclude the more volatile food and energy, which we all purchase, and I get it, we probably shouldn't be excluding that, but they're more volatile in general. You call it the core PCE. That is actually up 4.7% after being up 4.6% in the prior month. And it's essentially been around that rate 
um, going back all the way to November of 2021. It's kind of flatlined. So that growth rate is still right there, underlying inflationary pressures that are there. And so we have a situation where we're in a recession, where at least stagflation, little to no economic output overall. But again, I think we've had declining output. If you look at the numbers we saw a minute ago, and then you have these inflationary pressures, it's a bad situation for, for Americans across the country as their real wages, their inflation-adjusted dollars continue to be lost. And this is a bad situation that's going to hit us for a while. I think the job losses are coming soon as well. And so we're going to see a domino effect throughout the economy, along with bank failures and things of that nature. So not a good situation. If we go next to number two on the, the state employment report by the Bureau of Labor Statistics that came out last Friday, they noted that 14 states uh, had lower unemployment rates in April compared to the prior month. Uh, stable in 30, the other 36 states. Um, we also saw non-farm payroll employment increase in five states, decreased in one state, essentially unchanged in 44 states. Um, and so it's, it's, it's quite interesting to see these numbers. I mean, the United States unemployment rates at 3.4%. A lot of these states are now in the twos. So these are very low in unemployment rates. Part of this is because the labor force participation rates have been declining. And so that also reduces the unemployed. And that could bring down artificially your unemployment rates. Um, but there have been quite a few jobs that have been added in a lot of these states, especially in your, your more red states. You know, if you look at places that I've been working on quite a bit, like Louisiana over the last year, they added 48,400 jobs, um, which was a, they have a 2.5% annual rate in their job creation rate there. Texas added 534,000 jobs, 4% um, rate, which was the second highest in the nation, next to only Nevada, which increased by 61,600 jobs over the last year for a 4.2% rate. That's the highest in the nation. California, another big state, added 426,000. They were number two in total jobs. Texas was number one, the two largest states, right? But they only increased 2.4% year over year. So that's really what you want to look at are the rates of growth over time. But we're still seeing a lot of people that are leaving places like California, New York, Illinois, big government states, um, and going places like Texas and Florida. And, and Florida added 363,000 jobs last over the last year, 3.9% rate, so right below um, Texas. So these are the sort of situations that we're in right now. We're seeing some growth, I think, across, uh, across the economy and jobs that are being added. Um, over the last year, but you're definitely seeing some divergence between those states that I think have more pro-growth, conservative-type policies versus those with um, anti-growth, big government, progressive policies overall. And I think we'll continue to see that. You see that also within cities as people are leaving places like Chicago, San Francisco, uh, New York, and going to places like you know, Houston and um, Miami and different places like that. Now, some of these cities are still run by uh, Democrats and blue areas, but they're run. But the situation, the institutional framework is still one that is in a red state, a Republican state like Texas and Florida that have no personal income taxes. And so you these 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 cities, these blue cities in um, Texas, for example, can do some of the bad policies that they have, but not have the same ramifications that they will in blue state and blue city places like Illinois. Illinois, New York, and California because of the institutional framework that's around them. And so that's another thing, lesson for us to learn. However, I don't think that can last forever. I think that that will start to be manifest itself in uh, poor economic out outcomes and more poverty and things of that nature in, in some of these cities, even in, in Texas. So something for us to watch. Um, the last thing I want to talk about today is this the massive spending that's in House Bill 1 in the conference committee report here in, in Texas where I live. Um, it's just a massive increase. And if you look at the numbers, 
I think it's the largest increase in spending in Texas history. There was a lot of talk early on in this, this session and throughout session, even before session by the governor, Greg Abbott, Lieutenant Governor Patrick, Speaker Dave Phelan, that this was going to be the largest property tax cut in history is what they were going to provide. Coming into session, there was a $33 billion surplus, a massive surplus, the, the largest on, on record. Um, and so there was a lot of money to, that should be returned to taxpayers. These were all taken from the productive private sector. And so throughout this discussion, you, know, you had about a $304 billion budget by the House, $308 billion by the Senate. Those were already massive increases in, in, in the budget overall. When you look at appropriations to appropriations for an apples to apples comparison, but then whenever they released this conference committee report to go through, iron out all their differences, it went all the way up to 321.3 billion, 321.3 billion, just a massive increase overall. And so, you know, I've worked on the frozen budget with the Texans for Fiscal Responsibility to say, look, appropriations to not increase at all. You should find money within the dollars that are already within the budget. There was a lot of one-time expenditures, so you can just make just, just have that drop off and use those funds for something else. Um, cut spending in places that are not effective or efficient um, and find real savings so that taxpayers don't feel more of the brunt of more spending and, and growing government overall. But that is not what the Texas legislature is doing. Um, in fact, if you look at just state total funds, it's growing up from 166.3 billion to 219.1 billion. That's a 52.8 billion dollar increase. Um, it's a 31.7 percent increase in appropriation to appropriations for state funds. And if you look at the total budget and all funds, it went up from 264.8 billion to 321.3 billion, 321 billion dollars. So it's 13 billion dollars more than even what the Senate had passed, right? Um, and this increase in all funds, the total budget is up 21.3 percent. Even if you look at general revenue, just the one they have the most control over that some would argue, it's up 21%. And these are well above the frozen budgets that's out there. Um, if you look at another measure, the conservative Texas budget, which I worked on for a number of years, and they had been underneath this, which is based on population growth plus inflation, right? What that does also is it excludes property tax relief in each period because that's not going to grow government. And so, and it also in 2022-23, the prior budget period, it didn't include the one-time funding from um, the CARES Act, American Rescue Plan Act, and things of that nature. So if you exclude that out of that base, and then you say, okay, what's it going from 22-23, $245 billion in 22-23, and then you take out the property tax relief this period, which is $17.6 billion, $12.3 billion for new relief, which we'll see if it's all for compression, which is where it should be. They'll probably try to put some homestead as well. And then $5.3 billion for old relief to maintain the old relief that they've done. Um, that's $17.6 billion. I think the $12.3 billion is the one that we should really look at, which is not um, a record relief of $14.2 billion that have been in back in 0809. And if you adjust that for inflation, it's $20 billion. So whether you look at it from just dollar for dollar, 12.3 versus 14.2 is not record relief. And if you look at it 12.3 to 20 billion, 20 plus billion, it's not record relief. So this is not the largest property tax relief in history, but it is the largest spending increase in history. So if you, even if you exclude out that bigger number of 17.6 billion, it goes from 245.3 to 303.7 billion. That's a 58.4 billion dollar increase in appropriations. 
It's a 23.8% increase. So whether you look at it from total appropriations to total appropriations, not excluding property tax relief or federal funds, you have a 21.3% increase. And if you exclude the federal funds for one time last time and you exclude property tax relief in both the last two periods or the, the last period in this upcoming period, it's a 23.8. So regardless, we're seeing more than a 20% increase in the budget. And it's even more than what the federal government has increased by since 2019 of 27% um, or almost over three years, what we're doing in two years, it's almost that same amount. And so this is just a massive increase in the budget. I really think it's an opportunity for Governor Greg Abbott to lay down the law and basically say, look, I'm going to veto this budget if it passes. There is a lot of bad things that are in this budget. There's expansions to Medicaid for people who aren't on it today. Um, instead of trying to promote more prosperity and property tax relief, getting more money in their pocket by providing more in property tax relief, they want to have more people go on to safety net programs and grow government. That's not a good approach. Um, there's also um, corporate welfare for HB5, which is trying to provide more property tax abatements for big businesses, for school districts, or given by school districts. So that's corporate welfare. There's propping up of natural gas plants with $5 billion for a loan guarantee program. Um, there's more money to the Texas Enterprise Fund, the, the governor's slush fund of about, I think it's like $150 million for that. And there's more money to the movie movie tax credits. I mean, this is one thing after another going to a lot of big businesses and special interest groups and not enough going to taxpayers. Only about half, actually less than half of the, the surplus of $33 billion is going to $12.3 billion in new property tax relief. This is, this is just unheard of and it should not be happening in the great state of Texas. We should be leading by the Texas model, less spending, lower taxes, no personal income tax and sensible regulations. And instead, we're growing government. We're you know, increasing the largest spending increase in history, not providing much of tax relief and, and, and not providing school choice in the process. This is, these are things that other states are already doing across the country and Texas will continue to fall behind. I'm also hopeful that Louisiana will do some of these things as their sessions winding down. But I think there's a lot of stuff that we need to be looking at that will hopefully provide more prosperity and overall. So I thank you today. I went a little bit longer, but there's a lot of good stuff that's that, that needed to be discussed. I don't know how good it is, but some discussed stuff, stuff that we need to discuss. And so I hope that you'll continue to listen in, share with your family and friends. Give me a five-star rating if you would. Uh, we've got a lot more to talk about. So until next week, this has been This Week's Economy, and I hope you have a prosperous weekend. Thank you. <music>